This is the morning brief from the Economic Times. The stock of Asian Paints, India's largest paint company, has dropped 15% since last week. The reason shooting up of crude oil prices. Crude oil products are a paint maker's primary raw material. And Russia's invasion of Ukraine has sent oil prices through the roof, with prices touching $130 a barrel. With Asian paint steadily pushing up prices by over 20% since April, the company now must make a tough choice. With crude oil getting more expensive by the day, they have to decide if they can afford to increase prices further and hurt the consumer demand or absorb the cost and hurt their margins instead. Asian Paints is not alone in this. Companies across the board, from metals, oil and gas to car and agri-commodities are facing the same dilemma. And there is only so much that companies can do to absorb these higher input costs. Ultimately, they will have to increase their prices. From groceries to petrol, everything will soon get more expensive. And the bottom line is, consumers like you and me will be paying the cost of Putin's war on Ukraine. I'm your host, Kiran Somwanshi from The Economic Times. It is Tuesday, March 8th. You are listening to Putin's War on Our Wallets on The Morning Brief. In this episode, I chat up with Sachidanand Shukla, Chief Economist at the Mahindra Group, and Abhik Barua, Chief Economist at HDFC Bank, to understand how the war in Ukraine will prove expensive for Indian consumers, companies, and our economy, and how we could cope with it. Much before Russia attacked Ukraine, the world was already waging a war, a war against inflation. The COVID-19 pandemic broke down supply chains around the world. And when consumer demand returned after the lockdowns, the supply side simply couldn't keep up. And this is good old economics. When demand exceeds supply, prices go up. Mr. Barua, I would like you to come in here. How bad was the inflationary situation over the last one year? And how does this European war worsen it? Well, things weren't exactly comfortable on the inflation front. So we were at around 6% retail inflation, uh, which is kind of the upper end of the range that the RBI tries to maintain. What was kind of anticipated was a declining trajectory for inflation over the year. Um, And while that might well hold, uh, this inflationary war, as you call it, is going to considerably jack up the levels of inflation. So let me just try and explain it in terms of basic numbers. So if we had forecasted an average inflation of around 5%, for the coming fiscal year. 
Uh, so that might just have to be jacked up by about uh, one whole percentage point. And, and that's, I think, is a conservative estimate. What this war does, what the European war does, is kind of intensify the pressures of th- things like commodity prices. And it's not just oil, but a whole bunch of industrial commodities, which is going to sort of queer the pitch and create a far more inflationary environment than before the war. So what is your view on crude oil prices? I'm uh, afraid uh, it, it's very difficult to tell. I think in terms of underlying demand and supply, and if you want to look for a fair value of oil, it would be somewhere around 100 or you know, 95 to 100. But there is so much uncertainty and so much kind of risk getting priced into oil, which is actually like stocks, traded commodities. So if you are uncertain about how things will pan out, then you kind of uh, put a premium on the price of oil. And that's exactly what is happening. But I think there are some kind of silver linings in the sense with a couple of things happening. For instance, if you if we see a decisive um, end or a, a resolution to the conflict, I think some of this risk premium could go down. And the good news is that although there have been a lot of sanctions and embargoes against Russia, oil and other energy supplies from uh, uh, Russia, like natural gas, has been sort of really kept out of the sanction list and there's a carve out in the payment system so you can pay for this oil so it might not be as bad in terms of directly the energy market as um, the current prices seem to reflect but where it will ultimately settle is really an open question I would think that would uh, settle in say a couple of months three months in around the sort of $90 $90 to $100 um, range for the benchmark. Uh, so, yeah, but as I said, I mean, this there, there are so many uncertainties, so many risks involved that it's very difficult to uh, kind of predict uh, a level. Right. Mr. Shukla, how would do you assess the situation? What would you count as the visible impact of this inflationary war on Indian consumers, companies, and investors? Right. Um, Thank you so much for having me. Um, Just wanted to quickly add on some of the points that uh, we made very eloquently. Um, If you look at the way we analyze the impact of, say, inflation or some of these events that happen outside our geographies, is traditional way of looking at it is the trade channel impact. While Russia accounts for just about one and a half percent of India's imports and just about 0.8% of exports. Similarly, if I look at Ukraine, India's import exposure is just 0.5%, right? But that could mislead us into thinking that this may not really uh, impact us. Because if you look at very specifics, Russia accounts for about 13% of India's tea exports, right? And Ukraine accounts for 84% of India's sunflower uh, oil imports. Now, if I look at the current prices, sunflower oil, for example, has shot up to 1500 rupees per quintal versus just about, say, 135 rupees per quintal. And sunflower oil constitutes about 15% of edible oils. So I think we need to look at it in, in terms of specifics. Just look at India's 
crude basket, which is a mix of Oman, Dubai and Brent oil, right? This averaged about $70 per barrel in FY19, 60-60.5 in FY20. And in 21, uh, this was just about $43, right? Now, if I were to look at the number for February, the average shot up to $94 per barrel. If I were to look at the latest numbers available with us, it is about $117 per barrel. Now, if crude oil continues to hover around that 100, 110 mark, we can kind of see or impute the direct impact on consumer inflation and also WPI. So I don't want to bore people with numbers in, in terms of what is the weight in terms of direct exposure in CPI, WPI. But suffice it to say that every 10% increase in crude prices will push up the CPI by about 40 odd basis points and the WPI by about 80 basis points. And also it will impact growth. So growth can uh, go down by about 20 basis points. So you talked about companies facing uncertainty. How do you think they are managing? Um, to understand this better, I, I think we need to also look at the context we were in before uh, this crisis erupted. The balance sheets of households has been weak for quite some time now. Uh, the reasons are uh, obviously the pandemic, which has impacted households. But the consumer balance sheet was weak even before the pandemic hit. Um, recall that the Indian economy grew less than 4% in the year prior and incomes not really growing at the same pace as in the past. Liabilities also going up. I mean, people have contracted loans and, and liabilities over the years. And in this balance sheet in, in particular has remained weak and vulnerable. And on top of that, it has now been hit by this another uncertainty from the war. So with this sort of a context, I think corporates need to be uh, cognizant of the fact that A, their input costs are likely to remain high. Mind you, they have been high over the last, say, 12, 18 months. And this is likely to go up. And in the scenario that you cannot pass it on to consumers, I think it, it will result in taking a hit on margins, right? So you can broadly generalize that there will be an impact, adverse impact on EBITDA margins, wherever, whichever sector, whichever, uh, say, quota service the company is in. And therefore, companies have to be very, very careful as to how and where they can really offset this input cost pressure. But at the same time, I think we should also realize that the government will probably step in depending on, on which segment or, or which uh, sector really is, is undergoing a lot of pain. Mr. Barua, what are the specific strategies that you see amongst your corporate customers? So during the period of the pandemic and with elevated commodity prices, input prices and so forth, one of the things that companies were doing in order to cut down on costs because input costs were going up. So inventory management was very, very tight. 
And over the last couple of months, we started seeing as a bank um, companies getting more comfortable with holding larger inventories. Now, I guess that we will sort of go back to the old model of companies holding very lean inventories. The other thing, which is, I, I think, uh, a little more alarming, is the fact that there was a, a glimmer of hope about a private investment cycle, so a, a CapEx, or capacity expansion cycle, beginning with some sectors. But I guess with, again, this new round of uncertainty, this new pressure on uh, margins, uh, input costs, etc., they will kind of, they might start to holding back on their capacity expansion plans. So that's kind of um, defensive strategy number two. And I think there would be um, some costs involved, and I think you will sort of get to this a little later. They will try and hedge their risks as much as possible, but hedging risks has, has its own costs. So again, it's going to add to their cost increase, but um, I think they will find it imperative to do this. So it's going to be a, a rough time for corporates, but we've seen them navigate this through the pandemic. And there are some kind of strategies that de facto have sort of created a playbook of sorts that they will perhaps go back to. There has been a mention of the government possibly stepping in to control the situation from worsening. So gentlemen, do you think the government will increase its spending to spur growth? Does it have the elbow room to do so? In terms of the elbow room, if you look at it conventionally, the fiscal situation is pretty tight. Um, so we are pretty much at the upper uh, limit of the kind of government debt that an economy like India, which is an emerging economy, can hold without you know, causing a whole bunch of problems ranging from credit ratings to how Indian corporate bonds are priced overseas and so forth. So in terms of even conventionally, if you ask about elbow room, there isn't much to go to, to sort of utilize to spend more. So it's really if they need to spend and if things turn out much worse than we were anticipating, um, then they might have to sort of reprioritize their spending. For instance, as uh, there is every possibility some of the oil price burden will be absorbed by the government and that will happen partly through excise duty cuts. So there is a drop in the government's revenues for the year uh, below the projected levels in the budget. So can the government just go ahead and expand the fiscal deficit through this cut? Perhaps not. So you'll have to kind of see a reprioritization of expenditures and uh, uh, I think it's a sort of well-known fact that this budget was a very kind of capex oriented budget, very sort of physical asset creation oriented budget, investment budget. If things come to such a pass that the government needs to kind of ensure that the short-term momentum of the economy is not uh, impeded significantly by things like an oil price shock. 
it might have to offer these short-term measures to help the economy and perhaps compromise on things like you know, physical investments at CapEx. That's a trade-off the government will have to make. Just to add to what uh, Abhik just mentioned in terms of how constrained the fiscal space is, um, I just want to give you two numbers to highlight this specific issue. This fiscal year, I mean, F23, the government plans to spend 40 lakh crore rupees. And this 40 lakh crore, to put it in perspective, is what the size of India's GDP was in, in say, 2005-06. It's that big a number. And is there more leeway to spend beyond that? I, I, I really doubt, and Abhik really made that point very well. We are also looking at very, very elevated debt to GDP levels. And also within that component, there is just one line item, which is interest payments, right? Which takes away for every 100 rupees that the government earns by tax revenues, 42 go away in servicing debt, right? So that interest burden in aggregate is about 9 lakh crores. And again, to give you the, the say context, how big that number is, that is probably the size India's GDP was in 1991. So what could happen going forward is, is like Abhik mentioned, there will have to be reprioritization. And, and I suspect that a bulk of this could go into fertilizer and fuel subsidy. And then this is what the government has resorted to in 2004 to 2008 when we saw a similar rise, although it wasn't as dramatic as this, uh, and then crude oil prices went up and the government's spending on fuel and fertilizers shot up. So coming to you, Mr. Barwa, again, basically on the role of RBI in all this, do you think we'll have low rate, no interest rate policy being changed sooner than later and what all RBI can do and will do? Well, the RBI has taken um, at least some of us by surprise by not um, responding that aggressively to inflation pressures. I think it has. If it, I, I think it kind of insists on the fact that as long as inflation is primarily supply driven, they will not mess around with interest rates. Although they have done. And this is a little technical, but they have done quite a bit with the amount of money sloshing around in the system, absorbing it to get effective rates up. But I think with inflation uh, rising so much, they might need to uh, send a stronger signal. So I think um, to use uh, the, you know market gobbledygook, the probability of uh, a rate increase has certainly uh, gone up. Bottom line, I mean, uh, what does the average man care about? It's interest rates. I think uh, whether the RBI hikes the policy rate or not, I think we are in for higher interest rates simply because inflationary pressures are, are going to rise significantly and there's one-to-one -one correspondence between interest rates and inflation. Meanwhile, the ongoing war has one more victim, the Indian rupee. The rupee hit an all-time low on Monday. It is just below the 77 mark to the US dollar compared to 73 a year ago. 
This weakness in the rupee definitely means good news for exporters. But for the bulk of importers and the consumers, it only means more bad news. Expensive crude oil bought with a weaker rupee can hurt the economy even more. Mr. Barua, what is your outlook on the Indian rupee? I mean, I'm not going to sort of venture a guess on where it's going to uh, head and where it's going to stop. But I can just tell you that there is, because of the way things are panning out, there is some more depreciation ahead. We would see intervention from the RBI. The RBI will try and sell dollars from its large reserves in order to hold the rupee at certain levels because what happens is that if you if the rupee depreciates and you're buying things with dollars and you're paying more rupees per every dollar, then it sort of adds to the inflation pressure. So if you're buying oil, which you're doing with dollars, and at a higher sort of or, or more depreciated exchange rate, then the effective rupee price goes up. So that's that's going to be, it's called imported. It adds to this imported inflation bit. But for the listener to this podcast, my uh, simple message would be that every time the rupee depreciates, the, the RBI is not going to step in and hold a particular level. It doesn't make sense to uh, burn reserves when the entire market is against and this is a time when this is a typical, what we call in the markets, a risk-off episode. And risk-off episodes are associated with flights to safe haven. I'm sorry, I'm using a, 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 a lot of very fancy uh, phrases, but all it means is that when there is uncertainty, people flock to the dollar and, and gold. And that is going to sort of keep pressure on the rupee. We have the capacity to prevent the rupee from going into free fall, but that does not mean that every level of depreciation would be would elicit some response from the RBI. So that would be, and in such a situation, for those of who are are in a sort of a corporate um, in a situation where you need to take a decision, the best thing to do at these moments is to stay hedged. There are a plethora of instruments available to you in order to hedge uh, your exchange rate and currency exposures. This is not the time to be brave and you know punt on currencies. This is the time to play it really, really safe. Mr. Barua, since FD savers are getting negative returns, is there a need for well-designed inflation index bonds to kind of protect them a little? Yes, I mean, I think there has always been a need for inflation index bonds. But my experience, having been in the banking uh, sector for almost 30 years now, is that bonds are a very difficult thing for um, retail consumers to understand. Uh, so it there, ha- there will have to be some element of um, sensitization and education about how these bonds work. But yes, uh, the, the problem of inflation and inflation sort of eroding uh, real interest rates and taking them into the negative territory is a problem that we you know face periodically. So there should be instruments to uh, guard against this. But hopefully, if um, interest rates start moving up and inflation comes under some kind of control, we uh, by the end of this year maybe we should be back in a positive real interest rate territory. But 
I, I think you, you've raised a very valid point. Negative real interest rates for savers who are largely in uh, fixed income instruments, I think is is a real worry, especially for, for pensioners and, and so forth. And that's one segment of the population that we can't ignore altogether in our in a bid to get growth up and keep interest rates low. A global crisis like the Russia-Ukraine war, right in the middle of a pandemic, is more than the world economy can handle. In India, the high crude oil prices and a weaker currency will make the RBI nervous. In the face of growing inflation, it will be difficult for the central bank to keep interest rates low. The government may step in at some point to absorb some of the increase in crude oil price and subsidize the fuel at the pump level. But that means the money meant for building roads and hospitals will now be spent in subsidizing petrol and diesel. The private sector too could defer its CAPEX plans. So the macro picture definitely is worrying. Meanwhile, consumers like you and me will have to gear up for a double whammy. High prices on the one hand and lower economic growth on the other. Interest rates going up may make fixed deposits look attractive, but one may not be left with enough savings in order to do that. Keeping discretionary consumption low and securing one's sources of income would be the wise thing to do. Yes, that new car or the fancy vacation that was on your bucket list may just need to wait a little longer. You are listening to Putin's War on Our Wallets on The Morning Brief. This episode was produced by my colleague Nehal Chaliawala from Economic Times and Saundarya Jayachandran from Awaz. Sound editor Varun Kapahi from Awaz. Executive producer Arijit Berman. The Morning Brief airs every Tuesday, Thursday and Friday. Thank you and have a nice week ahead. All clips used in this episode belong to the respective owners. Credits mentioned in the description.